Um, everybody could be seated. Um, getting ready to go back to school, back to school time. So we just want to lift up the teachers and the helpers and all that. So if you are a teacher or a teacher's aide or anything, come on up here. Uh, we want to lift you up in prayer. Teacher, teacher aide, public school, Christian school, private school, doesn't matter the school. Homeschool. Come on, homeschool. Yeah, you teach, don't you? Yeah. Let me tell you something. Homeschool's got to be some of the toughest ones. Those students, they don't want to learn. How do you fight the teacher? <laughs> so we want to lift them up. You know, uh, we were just... Um, in our uh, marriage class uh, that we're, we're doing, uh, we just had a, uh, it was interesting, the uh, guy said that, you know, when Jesus said that, come on, Victoria. <laughs> you sit in front of people all day. Does everybody know my daughter, Victoria? That's Victoria right there. All right. A lot of ladies teaching, one guy. Huh? Well, how about that? So we're going to lift them up. Uh, you're a teacher too? Come on up. Come on up here. You'll go with her? Give her a hand. All right. So we were just doing our... I could do this because I only have a short message for you today. Okay? A short message. Um, but, um, you know, we were just uh, doing our marriage thing and the, the, the guy was saying that, you know, when Jesus says a, a city on a hill uh, cannot be hid. And uh, he was saying that, that those cities that were placed on the hills, they were placed there strategically so that travelers could see them and, and follow the light to them. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, uh, God placed you where you are and uh, strategically in these tough times. So we're going to pray that God give you wisdom and direction and guidance through a lot of the stuff that uh, is being forced upon our, our schools and uh, how you as uh, Christian teachers, uh, uh, how important it is that you make a difference. Uh, I was uh, honored I was able to speak at the um, an in service for um, a school in town the other day. And it was just saying that, you know what? You can't go about business as usual. These are difficult times. And um, kids especially, kids are under attack. Um, and you can make a difference. I know some of the teachers that I had way back when, they still make uh, an impact today. You know, so it's uh, so important. So I'm going to lift you up in prayer because you start soon, right? When? Next week for us. Next week? Who said tomorrow? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Tomorrow? All right, so let's, uh, let's lift them up in prayer, and then we could be praying. And uh, on Wednesday nights, we do have a thing for our teachers and things that, uh, you know, to pray for them continually because they're really under it. It's not like it used to be, right? So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for each one here uh, that uh, they're teachers, teachers' uh, assistants and aides, and uh, Lord, you've placed them there, uh, just a, a city on a hill to be a light. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would give them wisdom and direction and guidance and discernment 
as they are ministering to these children in difficult times and uh, where good is called evil and evil is called good, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would just give them an extra measure of grace this school year to make a difference, uh, to, to really uh, bear fruit, to blossom where you have planted them. Uh, so be with them, Lord. Have your hedge of protection about them, and we thank you for them. Have your blessing upon them now, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you all. Thank you all. Amen. All right. There you go. All right. We are in uh, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We have been marching through Mark. Marching through Mark. Okay. Um, Last week we looked at the conversion of Matthew known as Levi. We know him as Matthew, a tax collector. And we end it with Matthew throwing a banquet, uh, inviting all of his tax collector buddies. And uh, he, was also, he also invited Jesus, hoping that what he had found in Jesus would also be found by his friends. And I think that's so key, that uh, the desire of every believer here should, uh, should have that uh, hope that what we found in Christ uh, would be found in our family members and our friends, that we would be that, uh, that light to lead people to Christ. So while attending the banquet, we saw that Jesus was uh, either spotted or known by the Pharisees and scribes to uh, have been there. Uh, as the fame of Jesus begins to grow, uh, the eyes of the Pharisees are turned to Jesus because now he became a threat to their power and their position in the Jewish society, and he was questioned how he could eat with tax gatherers and sinners. And they did that all in an effort to discredit him. Uh, Jesus' reply, of course, is epic. I like his uh, replies. They are uh, so good. And he said, they that are whole need have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says to those who are sick that there's a doctor in the house, and his name is Jesus. Uh, Those who want to be made well will be made well. And and we said that Jesus wasn't leaving the Pharisees out. His invitation was to all. But the Pharisees didn't realize how sick they were. And that's really the worst kind of sickness, to not know you have that need, right? The Pharisees thought they were good in their, their own selves, that they were righteous enough, that they were holy enough. That by their own efforts, by their own uh, human efforts, they could somehow attain heaven. But Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous. Uh, If you know the Bible, you know that there are none righteous, no, not one. That even all you lovely people here in this room today are not righteous enough to get to heaven on your own. And guess what? Neither am I. Just because I'm behind the pulpit doesn't mean uh, that I could get to heaven on my own. That without Christ, we'd be nothing. So Jesus is looking to heal those who are sick, uh, not just physically. You could be healed physically, but you know what the thing is? You could be healed physically, but something else is going to get you, just the way it goes, okay? Uh, everybody has that appointment. It's appointed on the man once to die and then the judgment. But if you're healed, healed spiritually, your sins are forgiven. It's eternal. And it doesn't get any better than that, does it? 
you could be forgiven of your sins by placing your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ, that on that cross he went and died for you. He carried your sins upon his body, and he paid for those sins with his own blood. That's the gospel. It's all about Jesus. So you could be forgiven today, brought into a right relationship with God, where you make peace with God, and then also experience the peace of God. Doesn't get any better than that. I know you're jumping out of your skin, but just hold back. Hold back a little bit, because, you know, we don't want anybody to think you're like crazy or something if you get excited about that. We're in verse 18. Again, another confrontation with the religious leaders and Jesus, but also others as we read this. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. That means they, they are fasting still. And they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of a new cloth in an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse, or the tear is made worse. And no man puts new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred, but the new wine must be put in a new bottle. So let's break this down a little bit. For some, holiness meant avoiding eating with ungodly people. They asked Jesus, how can you eat with these tax gatherers and sinners? For others, holiness meant religious practices. Here, the self-discipline of fasting uh, is the thing that would make them holy. Uh, fasting means to abstain from food. Uh, I was reading a little booklet by Tony Evans, What is Fasting About? And this is what he writes. Fasting is the deliberate abstinence from some form of physical gratification for a period of time in order to achieve a greater spiritual goal. Fasting usually involves setting aside food, although we can fast from any physical appetite. Now, some will disagree with that and say, no, it's only food. But I like Dr. Evans, he writes, a lot of Christians need to fast from the hours they spend watching television or surfing the internet. Uh, we read in Daniel chapter 10 that Daniel did a partial fast of certain foods and certain lotions. Verse, uh, in Daniel uh, 10 too, he says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So again, we see Daniel, he says, I'm staying away from pleasant bread. And no, there was no meat, no wine. But he also stayed away from lotions to anoint himself. Isn't that something? You know, I do that already. My wife looks on my knees. She goes, don't you have lotion? Your knees are ashy. So I said to her the other day, I said, how do I look? I had a pair of shorts on. Your knees are ashy. Do I care about ashy knees? I don't care about that. Is that something I need to be concerned with? Uh, you know, ladies, you got, right? You can't be ashy, right, ladies? I, what do I know? I, I, don't bother me if I'm flaking next to you, you know. So she, that's what she made me go do. Go get, go get lotion. Oh, there you are, right there. I didn't even see you right there. What's that? 
Oh, it's warmer on this side because the air conditioner is broken on this side. So if you're warm, if you're too warm, go on this side. And if you're too cold, go on that side. Anyway, he goes on in his book saying, the idea to fast is to devote the time we would ordinarily spend on these activities to prayer and waiting before the Lord. Okay, so you're renouncing the natural to invoke the supernatural. Uh, and it's a major principle in the Bible. You'll see it. People fasted for different things, to, for spiritual breakthrough. Okay, you're, you're uh, giving up cravings of the body to satisfy, to meet a deeper need of the soul. Isaiah 58.4 says it's to make your voice heard on high. So when we fast for the proper motivation, our voice is heard in heaven. We come uh, really to God in a powerful way. Uh, many times as believers, we need guidance from God. We need, you know, uh, a word from God, especially in difficult times when we're trying to maneuver through this life. So fasting really is to keep our focus on the Lord so that we hear from him. You see in Acts 13, the early church, it says they fasted. And as they were fasting and ministering to the Lord, it says the Holy Ghost said to them, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. The first missionaries were going to go out from the church in Antioch. They had fasted and God gave them direction and guidance. And then after that, they said, you know, God said, send Barnabas and Saul. It says, and when they fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. They still fasted. They were looking for God's, you know, power and blessing to be upon them as they had gone their way. Warren Wearsby, he writes, true fasting will lead to humility before God and ministry to others. We deprive ourselves so that we might share with others and do so to the glory of God. If we fast in order to get something for ourselves from God, instead of become better people for the sake of others, then we have missed the meaning of worship. So you're not fasting to get your Mercedes Benz, okay? That's not what it's about. Uh, it's about as you fast and you're humbling yourself, you see God will use you. He says fasting is not a way to get God to do what we want, okay? If that's your goal, you could be waiting for a long time. Probably about after the third or fourth day of fasting, you give up on that thought and say, well, that's not going to change, right? So, listen, fasting is something that changes us, not God. Uh, for the Jews, you would think that many days were required by God to fast, right, when you read it. But here's the truth. The Mosaic law really only prescribed one fasting day in the year, and that was the Day of Atonement, okay? That was the only day, one day in the year that God required for the uh, people to fast, okay? But of course, they fasted for personal reasons, you know. Uh, and Jesus wasn't against fasting. We read earlier in Mark that he fasted 40 days being tempted in the wilderness of the devil. Uh, we read where the disciples, they couldn't cast out a demon. And Jesus said that some things require prayer and fasting. But fasting, again, is not to punish the flesh. You know, it's to redirect our attention to God. It's not used as a dieting method, at least not a biblical fast. I know people fast, you know, they do their uh, intermittent fasting. My wife is a big proponent of intermittent fasting. You know, she stops eating at 8 o'clock at night, doesn't eat till noon. That's just a little too long for me. But, uh, but that's what she does. And that's why she's in better shape than I am. But, I think. But, you know. I like coffee. I like sugar in my coffee. So they say that throws it out. So I said, well, then it's not for me because I do like a little sugar in my coffee. 
that little bit's going to cause a problem, I'm out. All right? So, so, so fasting is not, you know, it's not supposed to be for dieting. A biblical fast is not to lose weight, but to really get deeper in your fellowship with God. And again, uh, much of the Old Testament, especially the religious Jews and the Pharisees and uh, here, and even John the Baptist's disciples, they would fast twice a week. The Pharisees fasted on a Monday and a Thursday because in their tradition, a Thursday was the day that Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God, uh, the law from God, and then he came down on a Monday from the mountain to give the law then to the people. So they chose Monday and Thursday to be days of fasting. But by the time of Jesus, the Pharisees had turned their tradition into something being more important than it, than it really was. That became the all-out uh, issue, okay? Bigger than the reason for fasting in the first place, you know? Instead of it being a devotion to God, it became more of a duty. And we could fall for the same thing, by the way, okay? Some people, they have, you know, reading programs to read the Bible in a year. And that's a good thing. To read the Bible is tremendous. But some people make the program, you know, they get frantic now because, oh, I was supposed to read three chapters last week or last, uh, last night, and now I missed it. Now i got to read six. Ah, ah. You know, I don't think God's too excited about that kind of relationship. Just say, you know. I mean, if you think of it in terms of human relationship, right? Oh, I was supposed to talk to my wife for a half an hour last night, and I missed it. Now i got to talk to her for a whole hour. <laughs> you know. So it's not supposed to be like that, right? It's supposed to be a devotion out of love, not out of duty, okay? Uh, for the Pharisees, the fasting became more of an outward show than an inward reality, okay? It became their form of righteousness, we saw that with the prayer of the Pharisee last week where he goes into the temple and he says, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. And then he says, this is what I do. I fast twice a week. Like, look at me, God. You know, I give tithe, tithes to all I possess. So he was looking at that as something that, you know, uh, was going to make him right with God. Uh, now, listen. Nothing wrong with fasting. In the Sermon of the Mount, when Jesus teaches, he says, moreover, when you fast. So he say, he sees it as something that people do do. He wasn't against fasting. He's saying, when you fast, don't do it as an outward show. And that's what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be as a hypocrite with a sad countenance. Ooh. You know, you're walking around, everybody sees you a little gaunt in, you're sucking your cheeks a little bit. Yeah. He says, don't, don't disfigure, for they disfigure their faces. That's what he says. I'm not making that up. They disfigure their faces that they may appear on the men to fast. You know, yeah, you fast for a day, you know, you're going to survive. Most people, unless you have some kind of dietary thing, then you may not survive. But, you know, if you fast for a day, uh, you know, uh, you're most likely going to survive. I could probably survive a few days, at least, <laughs> I can show you my wife's face when I said that. That was priceless. <laughs> she gave me one of those. Be priceless. That's right. Because I have some fat cells that they could, my body could call upon at any moment. <laughs> Be okay. He says, don't make your face like all drawn, like the people look at you and say, look at them. 
He says, well, if you do that, then you already have your reward, the recognition of people. He says, no, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto the Father which is in secret. It's something between you and God. Now, we do corporate fasts here and stuff like that when we're, you know, breaking into the passion play or we do uh, the nativity. We've had different things where we've corporately fasted together and then prayed together. Uh, so Jesus isn't against fasting, but what he's saying here, don't do it as an outward show. Jesus warned us that, you know, fasting, if we're fasting to feed our pride so that other people look at us more highly than they should, it's wrong. Wow, look at this guy. He fasts twice a week. He's got to be righteous. You know, he's got to be close to God. Uh, you know, people say that to me. They call me, maybe you got to pray for me, Pastor. you got a direct line. Listen, if you are saved, you have a di- the same direct line I do. And guess what? You ain't going to get put on hold. I'll tell you right now. Uh, just that we all have that access to the throne of grace, okay? Uh, so he's saying, listen, the hypocrites, they wanted that kind of reaction. And sadly, in this day and age that we're in, some folks put this aura of super spirituality together because they fast. Listen, if you fast, don't look down on others who may not fast as much as you do or fast at all. Okay, you know, don't look at them as less spiritual than yourselves because that's thinking like a Pharisee. Okay, Uh, and no, not to be. So in Mark chapter 2, the Pharisees, they're fasting, but also they weren't the only ones. We saw in verse 18, the disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. So why the disciples of John? Well, they were strict in their adherence to the law. John the Baptist, we find him in the New Testament, but he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. So he taught his disciples to fast as well. Remember, they are under the Jewish code here. Uh, So fasting was something that was done. It was especially done in the time uh, if there was judgment or judgment impending judgment. You remember Nineveh. Nineveh was told by Jonah, uh, you know, in 40 days, if you don't repent, God is coming. And everybody put on sackcloth and ashes. Everybody fasted, right? Even the animals fasted. And God withheld the judgment, right, of Nineveh. So John the Baptist, if you look at his messages, he was preaching of the coming judgment. You know, one of, and we read it in uh, where he was talking, and in, in Matthew we, we looked at it, where they were saying, we're, Abraham's our father. And his reply was, God is able to raise of these stones, children of Abraham, and now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Right? Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. That'll get you fasting. Right? And this is what, so this is what they were hearing continually. Right? Uh, sermons of God's wrath coming and the need to repent. Uh, so there would be a lot more fasting than there would be feasting. Okay? Fasting in the Old, temp, uh, Old Testament was there and it was given for mourning and for grief and repentance of sin. Uh, Joel chapter 2 says... Uh, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. 
Israel lived under the law of Moses. And they, if you read the history of Israel, there was this constant, they're living for the Lord, and then they're in rebellion, and this, this roller coaster ride. So they're doing a, a lot of repenting. If, but there was, like I said, the law only said for one time required to fast. But they were so all over the place that they're constantly fasting to get back right with God. If they had obeyed God, guess what? There would have been a lot more feasting, just the way it was. But they were in rebellion time and time again. Uh, again, so there was always this, you know, this mourning that was going on and fasting. So the disciples of John the Baptist, you know, were keeping the tradition of the Pharisees, and they fasted regularly. Plus, they had an added incentive. By this time, John the Baptist, their mentor, had been arrested. He's in prison, and he's facing a death sentence, so he is fasting. They're fasting even more so with an intense fervency, hoping that God would deliver John from, you know, the death uh, penalty. So all this is going on, and Jesus is eating with the, Pharise- uh, with the uh, publicans and the sinners, and they're not understanding, right? John said that he was the Messiah, points him out, he is the Messiah, you know, so in their minds, they're saying, well, wait a minute, if he's the Messiah, shouldn't he be concerned? You know, why is he not fasting like everyone else is? Or maybe they're saying, maybe it's not necessary to fast. So this is their question. They wanted to know. They needed understanding. Listen, if, you know, if I was fasting and other people weren't, I'd probably want understanding too. Wait a minute here. Am I allowed to eat? You know, I think that's a good thing to know. It's something you want to know. So they come and ask Jesus. As a matter of fact, in Matthew's account of this event, they are the ones who asked Jesus. It says, then came to Jesus the disciples of John, saying, "Who do we and the Pharise- Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but thy and thy disciples not?" So it's John the Baptist's disciples who come to Jesus and say, "What's going on?" You know, why are you eating? Why are you doing all this? And uh, we're fasting. What's, what's going on? Maybe we shouldn't be fasting. They wanted understanding, okay? Uh, sincere question. So uh, I, I believe the Pharisees just wanted to use another opportunity to trip Jesus up as they were, you know, Jesus is gaining in popularity. But here these two come together. And you got to realize John preached, what did he call the Pharisees? You brood of vipers, you know, uh, he's saying all these things. So it's interesting, these two come together in agreement about fasting, and they ask uh, Jesus what's going on. Jesus said that in verse 19, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. So Jesus provides an answer by asking a question. Okay? Can, uh, you know, when the bridegroom is present, can the bride chamber, the attendants, fast? Uh, is it proper to fast when you're at a wedding? Now, who fasts? Anybody fasts at a wedding? That's the, probably the place you eat the most. That's the place that you walk out and say, oh, I can't believe I just ate what I ate. You know those hors d'oeuvres? How about weddings nowadays? Those hors d'oeuvres come out? See, when I was a kid and I used to go to weddings, remember the old weddings? I know some of you folks, because now this is an extravaganza. 
But I remember going in, and they had all the lunch meat out, right? You made your own sandwich, and that was it. The big event to me was the punch bowl uh, fountain. Remember, you put your cup under the punch bowl? That was it. It was in a fire hall. I put my cup under the punch bowl. Man, I was high on the hog, baby. This was the greatest thing. Yeah, I'll get a little, you know, get a little salami, get a little guttagine, throw it on a sandwich. I'm good to go. But, yeah, that's what we did. That's how they were. Now it's an extravaganza, right? I talked to somebody. The lady says, I spent $110,000 on my kid's wedding, and they lasted 11 months. I said, go get your money back. You know, <laughs> couldn't believe it, how much it costs, right? It's crazy. Nobody fasts at a wedding. You know, you see those weddings. I'm telling you, the hors d'oeuvres just do it, right? How many of us, after you get the hors d'oeuvres, you know, they come by with their tray. Oh, is that... Is that uh, a scallop wrapped in bacon? Yes. Okay, thank you very much, right? I mean, you know, that thing's not passing me. I'll tell you right now. Anything wrapped in bacon is not passing me. I'll tell you right now. Right? You have a bacon hat on, I might have to bite your head. It's just the way it is, right? It's the way I roll. It's the way I roll. All right? So no, and then you get to the dinner, and what happens? They bring out the dinner, and you're like, oh, I ate so much. I got to eat this, you know. <laughs> Starving people in China. I got to eat this. I don't know why we said that, but that's just the way it was when we were growing up. So, anyway. Nobody fasts at a wedding. Nobody says, you know, after they, they're about to walk in, you know what, I'm starting my fast today. It, it doesn't happen. So this is what Jesus is saying. He says, listen, he himself is the bridegroom, and it's a wedding. This is a celebration. This is a celebration, so there's no need to fast. But, in verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. Those words are significant, taken away. It means, uh, you know, he's talking about his death on the cross. We know that. Uh, you know, and it would come quickly. You know, when you look at that last week, I mean, rise into Jerusalem, you know, people... Hosanna, blessed is the name of the Lord, to three days later being arrested and taken. And, you know, by the, by the Friday, he's already hung on a cross. It happened quickly. And I believe that's what we're going to see with the return of Jesus. You know, we see the things and you hear the things going on. But really, you know, a lot of people don't focus on and don't think about it. I think when the Lord's about to return, it's going to happen quickly. That's why we're to be ready now, not wait till the last minute. Okay. Um, but he's saying that, you know, he was going to be taken away. And at that point, the disciples would fast. They would seek him. They would seek that, that joy that they had when he was there, this, this, you know, consciousness of his presence when he was there. Uh, until then, it's a time to rejoice. The question then comes about, is it necessary for believers to uh, fast today? Now, I'll tell you, you may say, well, yes, uh, that's a, that's a no-brainer. But the fact is, uh, there are many believers who say, no, it's not necessary. And their argument is, if you are a born-again believer, then guess what? The Lord is always with you. That, you know, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But in the same breath, we also, as Jesus says, his followers are going to fast when his presence is removed. There are times in our lives it seems like the presence of God is not there. Now, we know he's there. He says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We're the ones 
who leave him. And there are times when we're like, we feel like our prayers are just hitting the ceiling. And, you know, we don't sense his presence. We don't, we don't sense that closeness. There's something wrong. And in those times, we have to remember, it's always us. It's never him. He never leaves nor forsake. We have the way of leaving. You know, I always equate it to the, the, the two riding in the car together. Remember back in the old days before the bucket seats, you had the, the bench seat, you'd sit close together. Remember that? Driving in my car. Yeah, right? Yeah, you had the, your girl was right next to you. You were close as close could be. It's like the old couple. That's what the woman says. They're, they're now sitting apart, and she looks at her husband and says, I remember when we first met how we would be so close in the car. Now look at us. Look how far apart we are. And he said, I'm still driving the car. I haven't gone anywhere. We have that tendency to slide. We have that tendency to, to walk away from the Lord. So we don't sense his presence. There's no consciousness of his presence. It just seems like we're going through the motions. And it's in those times, I believe, as, as believers, we need to fast and, and to seek the Lord. James writes, draw nigh unto God. He will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, when we're double-mindedness, when we are, have one foot in the world and one foot with the Lord, you know, we may not feel his presence. And it's those times we need to, to, to get back and get refocused. So I think fasting is important there. Uh, you know, when his presence is needed, when his empowering is needed, we go before the Lord. Just as Jesus told those disciples that couldn't cast out the demons, some things come with prayer and fasting. Listen, all who live godly, we're told, will face persecution in this world. Maybe minor persecution, maybe major persecution. Everybody is going to face persecution. And it's those times when, you know, we are going through those difficult times that this fasting comes in and it, and it just refocuses our minds because, you know, we need a, a deeper walk with the Lord. I always give you the testimony of, you know, when I met my wife, you know, I was a new Christian, didn't know too much about nothing. But I knew about fasting, that you could fast and, and pray. And I was praying because I met my wife and, you know, she swept me off my feet. And I'm, I'm looking at her. She had one foot in the world, one foot with the Lord. And, and I was on fire for the Lord. And I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to be derailed here. I need to know if she's the woman for me. I fasted on a Thursday. I need to know if she's the woman for me. And, and, and to make it so that one... Uh, I prayed that she would uh, be back on fire for you. And second, that she would be at Bible study. We used to do Bible study at my house on a Monday night. And that was a Thursday, and I fasted. New believer, right? Because, you know, I, was, I looked at her. I didn't know she was looking at me with the same eyes, like she was really, like, digging me. I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, you know. I, I said it the other night, most of us guys, we married up, didn't we? We married up. We, 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 look at the guys here and look at their spouses, and you know they married up. You sit there, every guy here is sitting there, I don't know how I got her, but thank you, Lord, right? Uh, it's just the way it is. So, I, I mean, I, so I fasted, I prayed that she would be back on fire for the Lord, and boom, we go to church on Monday. This is, we just met. All right, we go to church on Sunday. And she is, I'm hearing all this sniffling and stuff. She's got the long hair down. I'm saying, does she have allergies or what is going on with this girl? I have, what's going on? And we get out of the service. Now, I never told her I was fasting about this. 
I needed direction and guidance because I didn't want to be blinded by the beauty. Right? So, so I'm, 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 we walk out, and she's sobbing her eyes out because the message was from the book of Revelation where Jesus says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And she had strayed from the Lord. She was raised in the church, but she had strayed. And she walked out in the parking lot. I remember I prayed that she would be back on fire for the Lord. She walks out in the parking lot, and she goes, I'm back. And I remember I turned around from her, and I looked up, and I went, now that's pretty good. Yeah. And that's the truth. That is the honest truth. That is the honest truth. That, I, still, I still remember it, right? Now, that's pretty good. When God answers to the word, right? That was Sunday. Monday, I didn't tell her, hey, come to Bible study. This had to be a God thing. And God moved on her heart, and, and she comes to Bible study. The rest is history. Two months later, we were engaged. Six months later, we were married. Isn't that amazing? So when you parents come to me and say, I'm afraid my daughter, she only knows this guy for less than a year, and she's talking about marriage. I said, you don't want to come to me. Because, you know, it's just, I wouldn't be the one to talk to, all right? Just the way it is. But, that, but, but again, I needed direction. I needed guidance. And I just fasted. And, that, you know, and Lord, I need you to, to, to guide me. I want your will. And you see God just come through. I still have the testimony of it today. So Jesus is now is going to, the first thing he says when the bridegroom's here, you know, fast. You celebrate. Then he uses this parable in verse 21. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, or it pulls away, and the rent or the tear is made worse, okay? Listen, when you come to Christ, he gives you a new life, okay? He's not an old patch sewn on an old, you know, a new patch sewn, sewn on an old garment. Remember patches, some of you people from the 60s and stuff, remember all the patches, early 70s, man, had the patches going on, right? That's it. I remember the patches of my uh, tough skin, remember the tough skin jeans, Sears Roebuck jeans? The knees, the knee patches were so tight, you couldn't bend your knees for the first two weeks wearing them. Remember that? Get down on your knees. I can't. Right? It was just one of those things. So, uh, but he's saying here, listen, in those, clothes, uh, those days, the clothes were mostly made of wool or a, a cotton, and uh, those fabrics shrink, right? You buy a, a cotton shirt now, I very rarely buy a cotton shirt because you don't want to see me in a half shirt, right? So it's just, a, where'd you get that crop top? Well, it was cotton, you know. So it shrinks. So he says, listen, these, you don't want to put a new piece of cloth on, a, on an old uh, garment because when they wash it, uh, the one's going to shrink. You know, the other one's already shrunk out, but it's, it's going to shrink and it's going to rip and make the hole even worse. Jesus is not here to reform an old religion, okay? He's, he's not here to reform an old life. He gives you a new life. When you come to Christ, it says the old is passed away. Behold, all things become new. It doesn't get better than that. He's not refurbishing your heart. He gives you a new heart. You understand how awesome this is? This is what he's talking about. You know, he says that he gave us the power to become sons of God. That's an awesome thing. He's saying, listen, there's no way that the things that I'm teaching can fit into your ritualistic system. This is what he's telling them. You know, 
that you think that you have, you know, internal holiness and all those things by these outward things you're doing. You can't get it that way. It can only come from Christ. And, and when you come to Christ, let me tell you something. It'll tear apart any form of legalism because it, it, it's, it's different. It's grace. It's not law. And we praise God for that. All right. Uh, verse 22. And no man puts new wine in old bottles, else the new wine thus burst the bottles. And the wine is spilled and the bottles will be marred, but the new wine must be put into new bottles. Now he's talking about not bottles, but wine skins. You remember the old wine skins things, right? You don't put new wine in old wine skins because they're incompatible. Old wineskins had already been filled and stretched, okay? Now they're completely stretched out, right? You, it happens with age. You ever notice that with age? You, you become completely stretched out, all right? Just the way it goes. You lose weight, it's still there. Hey, what? how do I get this thing fixed, right? So, so you can't put new wine in it because the new wine was still fermenting so it's releasing gases anybody who's ever made wine you had to have vents on it to vent out the gas so it was already stretched to the limit so if you put new wine in it guess what's going to happen he says it's going to burst so jesus comes preaching you know the kingdom of god this new wine that's coming in the old wine is the old covenant and it they can't mix the old covenant is a a shadow of things to come Okay, the, the new covenant is the reality of that. Now, the old covenant, they were, the old covenant, they're looking toward the payment of sin. They're looking towards the Messiah. But under the new covenant, it becomes a reality. Under the old covenant, the, it was the sacrifices that were happening and constantly being you know, recurring. But in the new covenant, the sacrifice of Jesus is eternal and it's forever and it's totally sufficient in itself. Under the old covenant, you know, uh, men would bring lambs to cover their sin. But in the new covenant, the Lamb of God paid for their sins in full. That's why it says in Hebrews that, you know, the, the old sacrifices, were they were just pictures. The gospel, the gospel of grace can't fit into the old covenant framework. The old covenant was good. It showed people that you can't be righteous enough, therefore look for the Savior, but it couldn't do it on its own. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace is not about what we do, it's about what Christ has done for us. Okay, It's not about how righteous we are, it's about how righteous he is. It's all about Jesus. Listen, the, he's telling the Pharisees this, and they can't get it through their legalistic ears. There's a lot of folks here that if you were raised in a religious system that said you got to do this and do that and you must have this and you must have that, the first time you heard the gospel of grace, you're kind of like, oh, that can't work. No way. You're telling me that uh, all I got to do is believe Jesus, believe on Jesus, and I'm saved? Uh, no, it's got to be more than that. You, you finally heard that. Your head was like, Pfft. right? Just exploding because it didn't fit. The gospel didn't fit because, you know what, it's centered on Christ, but as a people, we are self-centered. What do I have to do? They asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? He says, believe on him who we sent. That's totally different, you see? The great message of the gospel is that Jesus paid it all. He did it all. 
He did what we could never do so that we could be forgiven and given this free gift of everlasting life. It's the new wine. The, the, the blood is shed. The, the lamb is slain. The sin payment has been made in full. Death is defeated. And we have life everlasting. It doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better than that. Right? And this bridegroom who left us, guess what? Is returning to get us. There's a wedding coming. There's a wedding coming. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? Get gussied up. All right? Right? Girls, you know how it is. Girls understand that. Getting gussied up. That starts early in the morning, right? Getting men just take a shower maybe and put on a suit. They, they appear, but women are gussied up. I got to go get my toes and nails done. I got to get my hair done. I got to get my makeup done. I got a full day of work to get it done. Men are so good looking, we just put a suit on. Look at us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe I'll shave the hair out of my ears. How about that? That's it. We have limits. We have limits. That's the way it goes. Last piece, last piece. Believe it or not, I had chapter three. I had the healing of the man with the withered hand. Uh, uh, and I had that included in this message. And this morning I got done, I said, I can't get this in. So next week, we'll hear about the man with the withered hand, chapter three. But let's end this chapter, verse 23. And it came to pass that when he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn... And the Pharisees said, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he had need and was hungry? He and how they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them that were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was not made for man. And man not for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now these words are challenging to these Pharisees. It's a direct, uh, it's a direct confrontation. You're going to see these confrontations that happen on the Sabbath day. Okay? And, and Jesus is, is going to reach out to them. He's, they're saying, wait a minute, what are your disciples doing here? You see, you were allowed to go on, on a field, if somebody had a field planted, and you were going through, and you were hungry, you could grab a piece, you know, they would take the corn off and, you know, clean it up, and they would eat it. And that was allowed. The law said you couldn't put a sickle to it, all right, because that's mankind. Oh, I could get one piece? Here, let me harvest it for this guy, you know, take it all. So he says, no, you couldn't put a sickle to it, but if you were hungry, you could eat. The problem was that it was the Sabbath, okay? And by this time, there was law upon law that the, the, you know, the Talmud had regarding Sabbath restrictions. The Sabbath originally was given to restore man, to give him rest, to give him you know, that time where he could refocus on the Lord. And it was still supposed to be a day of joy. All right, it was a day of joy, but with the, uh, with the Pharisees and with the religious system, they put all these interpretations on it so that it was, it was a burden and it wasn't a joy. Okay? Here was one that if you spit on the Sabbath, you could spit on a rock, okay? but if you spit on the ground, that spit with the ground would make mud, the mud would be mortar, 
And therefore, since you made mortar, you're working on the Sabbath day. How about that one? That's it's ridiculous. Well, that's all right. It is ridiculous. But this is this is this is what <laughs> you don't like the law too much, huh? Now, listen. But this is the restrictions that they kept putting. You could read some of the things. You know, if somebody broke their leg, you could set their leg on the Sabbath, but uh, only if it went through the skin. If you got a compound fracture, you could help them. You could bandage it, but you couldn't set it because now you were working. All right? Can you imagine that breaking your leg on a on the Sabbath day? You didn't want to do that because you had to wait for a day. Can you help me out here? Well, I really can't help you, but God be with you. You know. Uh, and then I was listening to one preacher. He said this. He says, uh, you know, at first they were thinking that a woman, if she was pregnant, couldn't deliver on the Sabbath day because it would be work. Can you imagine that? You go into labor on the Sabbath day? They were thinking about that. Then one of the wives of the Pharisees said, I'll kill you. Do you understand? That? He said, let's, change, let's change that law. Let's change that law. All right? I heard one of the preachers say that. So Jesus takes them through the scripture. He brings them uh, to, we read it in 1 Samuel 21, that David and his men, they're fleeing, they're hungry, and there was no regular food available, and they were desperate, so they go into the tabernacle, into the holy place. They take the, the showbread, which God had ordained for the priest, and, and they ate of the showbread, you know, because there was nothing else. Uh, and they did it, and, you know, God said nothing wrong about it. So Jesus is saying, so what do, you, what do you make of that? And they don't give a reply. Jesus draws a conclusion. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I love this. And he says, and the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Oh, that gets it kicked up a notch right there. Because he is saying that he himself is Lord over the Sabbath. When people say that Jesus didn't make himself out to be God, they don't read their Bible. He's making it very clear. We've got to understand the first duty of man is to worship God, but also meet the needs of his fellow man. So if somebody was uh, hurting, you know, you had to tend to them. If somebody was sick, you tended to them because uh, guess what? They could die, right? So you took care of them. But he says the Sabbath is to uh, be governed or is governed by the Son of Man. In saying that, he makes two claims to these Pharisees. One, he is the true Messiah, the Son of Man, that's the title, and he's the one who gave us the Sabbath. Remember, before the law ever came, there was the Sabbath, right? God created the world in six days, six literal days, by the way, and on the seventh day, he rested to give us a pattern. God could have spoken into existence instantly, but he gave us a pattern. Work six days, rest one day, get recharged, get your focus on the Lord, and then, you know what, get yourself rested up for the week ahead. We're going to stop right there because time is running out. But again, we see the confrontations are picking up between Jesus and the religious leaders. And face it, it's difficult sometimes. If you're a very religious person, it's very difficult to take that step. God is not calling us into a religion. He's calling us into a relationship. Okay, I've heard people say, you know what, I was born this religion, I'm going to die this religion. I hate when people leave sentences unfinished. If you're basing your salvation on a religion, you go to hell in that religion because religion can't save. Only Jesus saves. 
He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. If you want your sins forgiven, if you want eternal life, you have to place your faith in Jesus alone because it's only in him that you can be forgiven. Only in him that you could have everlasting life. Is it a tough move? Yes, it's a tough move because you're raised in something and that's all you've heard. Listen, for me to come out from my religious system, you know, I walked the, the, the tightrope for a while. Went to church there, went to a Bible church. Went to church there, went to a Bible church. And, I, and as I was hearing the word of God and being fed by the word of God and understanding the word of God, you know what? I said, I need to depart and follow God. A religious system is not going to save you. Only Jesus does. And he, just think about it, the God who created everything is calling you individually to come to him. That's amazing that he would do such a thing. But that's what he does, and praise God for his salvation, that he opens our eyes to the truth. So if today you heard his voice, harden not your heart, and take that step and say yes to Jesus. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, your pursuit of us. Lord, that while we were yet sinners, you would send your son to die for us, that your Holy Spirit is continually drawing us to yourself. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that uh, raised religiously, did all the things, thinking that that could get them to heaven, that, Lord, you would open up their ears and their hearts to the truth, that those things cannot get us to heaven, that you tell us it's not works of righteousness that we have done, it's his mercy that saves us, and his mercy is available to all who call upon Jesus. So come today and ask him to save you, and he will do just that. And for those here who are believers, who have come to Christ, Lord, we have such a message. I pray that you would give each of us an opportunity individually to share that good news of Jesus Christ to someone. Put someone in our path. I pray you would give us boldness that's not in us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to somebody this week, to hand out a track, to tell someone about Jesus. I pray for us corporately as a church, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to bring forth the gospel to this community, the surrounding areas, because people need to know about Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the message of the gospel. We thank you how it came and just blew our minds that you would send your son for a people like us so that we could be forgiven and have life eternal. Give you all the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.